royal robes fashion the morning and heavenly host who gave the word when all things were new oh god it's you it's you who fixed his heart firm upon man knowing the cost before he began who gave himself to make all things new oh god it's you it's you
Thank you, Rocky. Good morning, guys. Thank you for having me. Um, it's, it's really an honor to be here, and it really is the Lord, because I was expecting to be sent to Africa, but he sent me to Wilkesboro, so here I am. <laughs> Praise God. Um, so I have 10 minutes, right? 10.53. I'm going to honor my time, <laughs> which is hard, because I can be like Paul, a little long-winded, right? So uh, he, people fell out of trees when Paul spoke. I'm hoping that doesn't happen here. So there's a couple things I want to talk about, a little bit of background about me. I'm coming from Charlotte. So I was at Morningstar and Todd Bentley's ministry. I led outreaches. I did in, um, internships in ministry school with Todd Bentley and got connected with Morningstar down in Fort Mill. I, we worked with the Jesus teams. I led outreach. I took people out, taught people, trained people, was mentored and ordained by Freddie Power. I don't know if any of you know her from Charlotte, but she um, started a ministry called Keeping Hope Alive. And Keeping Hope Alive basically is an urban missions ministry. So what she would do would be go into urban areas, um, impoverished communities, uh, housing projects and things of that nature. And she would teach the kids the Bible. After about 15 to 20 years of doing this, she taught over 15,000 children and in her ministry and, and all of the children that she touched, five of those out of 15,000 went to prison. And so this, like, this kind of ministry has fruit and this is what I was trained to be doing. So when the Lord said, go to Wilkesboro, I said, well, what in the world am I going to do there? Because I've been trained in urban missions. So I'm trained to go in these poor areas, but it was probably about four or five months ago now at this point, I was coming up to visit. I had made friends with the youth and the young adults here um, over a year ago. And I was coming up to visit just for a visit. And I was in a time of transition where I did not know where I was gonna go next. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I was waiting for the Lord. It was like the 12th hour, like 12.58. And I'm like, God, I need to know what to do. I don't know what to do. And so I'm driving here and God starts to give me these visions of doing outreach here and showing me visions of these dark communities that need to be touched by the love of God, that they need to be transformed by the power of Jesus, right? So I'm like, what am I gonna do with this? I was like, I don't live there. I was like, I don't have authority to speak to the leadership and say, this is what needs to happen. Little did I know that the next trip I was gonna make up here, he showed me those visions twice. And the next trip I was gonna make up here, I drove into Wilkesboro and the Lord said, welcome home. I said, no. <laughs> No, please, <laughs> please don't. So, so I fought him for three days and he sent me here and this is, this, of course I was going to be obedient. I love Jesus more than anything. Why wouldn't I want his perfect will for my life, right? So, so I came and this is very unexpected and a huge honor to have this position now, but my heart is to train people and to take people out. I want to you know, read some scripture here. <laughs> 10 minutes is not a long time, but it's enough. So that's what I want to talk about. A little bit about my, about my further background. I've been walking with the, with the Lord for seven years. And before I was walking with the Lord, I came from a family of hippies. And I was a Wiccan from the time I was 13 years old until I was 19 years old. I got saved at the age of 20. And when I was 18, I had a dream where I heard the audible voice of God and he asked me why I hadn't taken his hand and it shook my life. And from that dream, from that point forward, I was on this pursuit to understand what that meant and on this pursuit to pursue spiritual things. So I wanted to become a new age minister. 
And to do that, you have to be able to have a well-rounded understanding of other religions. How are you going to convert anyone if you don't know what they believe, right? So I didn't know what Christians believed. So I pursued to study and understand what Christians believed. And in that pursuit, got saved. So praise God for that. Thank you. He can do anything. He's so good. So in that pursuit and in that time, um, I got saved in a small church in West Palm Beach, Florida, which is where I'm from. And... Um, from that point, God kind of accelerated everything. It was like out of the fire, and, or out of the frying pan and into the fire, right? So I went straight into leadership very quickly after. I was a leader of every kind. I led the worship team. I was a children's pastor. I was a young adults pastor. I was a co-youth pastor. I was the media team. I was the graphic designer. <laughs> I was the chief and only intercessor. I did everything you can imagine. I cleaned the church. I mean, everything. I was Martha, the Martha of Martha's, right? But there came a time in my walk with the Lord where I started to die. Like, I was tired. That, that's a quick road to burnout, really, like, really fast road. So I started to die spiritually, and I started just serving because I had to. Because if I didn't do it, no, no one would do it, right? And so... It wasn't until recently that God gave me a revelation out of that, right? And so you don't have to turn there because we don't have time. In, let's see, it is John chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. I was reading this a few years ago, or a few months ago, actually. It was probably a year at this point. And I, I couldn't understand how to, how to verbalize that. I couldn't understand how to explain that, um, why that doesn't work. Why just sitting in church listening to teaching and serving in church doesn't work. You begin to die. There's something more that you need, right? So John 12, 1 through 3, I'm reading in ESV. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the, with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of perfume. So I was reading that and I was like, oh my God, I get it now. I get it. So this is right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? Everybody's rejoicing. Lazarus is alive. Jesus is there. It's, I mean, I can't imagine what kind of party that would have been. But I saw this picture where Martha served, right? We're supposed to serve the Lord. We're supposed to give of ourselves, give of our time, give of our substance to the Lord. We're supposed to serve. Lazarus sat at the table and reclined and listened to him. Jesus was a teacher, so he was teaching at that moment. Teachers, I don't know if you've ever met one, but they often talk a lot. There's a, there's a rare moment where they're silent because they're constantly teaching, right? They're constantly speaking. So, so Jesus was teaching, Lazarus was sitting and listening. And if you think about the Old Testament, when they would bring up an offering before the Lord, when they would burn their burnt offerings, the sacrifices, it was a fragrance that went up to God. And God judged the fragrance of that sacrifice. So was the fragrance sweet or was it sour? Was it good or bad? Was it rejected or accepted? And it was funny to me that when Mary came and she gave everything that she had, she gave all that she had. It was, it was expensive ointment. I'm sure that... It was more than what she could have afforded to give. She poured out her life on him at that moment, and that is what was fragrant to him. 
that was pleasing. It said the fragrance of that sacrifice filled the house, that offering filled the house. And I said, whoa, I, <laughs> I get it now. I get it. I understand why I died then. But then when I went out and started pouring my life out on the poor, on the sick, on the broken, that God started pouring life back into me and I came alive again. It was because I was no longer just sitting under teaching. It was no longer because I was just serving out of my flesh. But it was because there's that extra that God wants. God wants those two things that come previously, right? But there's that extra that he wants that he's, he's asking for. And it's our choice whether or not to give it to him. But I can tell you honestly that that choice is easily made. <laughs> Death or life. I'd rather have life, right? And so you get a lot of evangelists come, I'm sure, and they'll, they'll give you the Great Commission speech, and I'm sure that you could probably quote the Great Commission just off the top of your head. Go ye, into, there you go. Go ye therefore into all the world. By a show of hands, how many of you feel called to missions? That's, that's a good majority, right? But do you, do you know... <laughs> That we can't always make it to Africa. We can't always make it to India. There's times when God says, no, you stay where you are, right? That's why I'm in Wilkesboro. <laughs> but if you look at your feet, wherever your feet are, that is your mission field. And if you're not doing what you're called to do where you are and with what you have right now, you won't do it when you get to those other places. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so... My vision for this area and for this region and these people is to see not only the young people. Can we just give them a hand really quick? <laughs> I love these guys so much. They have hearts that are sold, so sold out for the Lord that they serve all of the time. I mean, they're the busiest people I've ever met in my life, ever. And so my vision is not just to see the young people equipped, but to see our elders, the elders of this generation, come out and pour out what God has given them. I see a room full of people that are filled with gifts and purposes and callings and dreams and destinies, and hope deferred has made the heart sick, right? I would say to you that we don't need to sit under any more teaching. What we need is activation. We need to go. We need to go, and we need to be active, and we need to see this community change because there's... There's so much hopelessness. There's so much darkness. But I tell you something right now. I can't even comprehend the light of God. And the light that's within you needs to be taken out from underneath that lampstand. It needs to be taken out from under the bushel. And we need to go together. And I want, I want to see that. I want to see that spirit of poverty, the spiritual poverty, broken in this area. I want to see freedom come to this area. And so, how can we do that? I'm practical, right? I'm a very practical person, so what can we do? What can we do together? What my vision is, I want to take teams out and minister in these just <laughs> broken down apartment complexes. I want to take teams out to pray for people, to love on people, to prophesy over people. Can I tell you that the power of prophecy will change someone in a moment. One moment, it will change your whole life. Because I can sit and I can tell you and I can preach to your religion, but until you hear the voice of God, until you know that you know that God loves you, nothing changes, right? 
And so I want to see just this, this body built up to go out and to pour out their lives. We're supposed to serve. We're called to serve, right? The greatest in the kingdom will be considered the least, and the least will be considered the greatest. And so we are to serve and we're to love. So that there's a lot of things that you can get involved in right now. This week I um, met with Josh Paul, Josh Paul Ministries, and I had my first experience volunteering with them. And can I tell you, it was, it's, it was the best day I've had since I moved to Wilkesboro. I took one of the youth out and we went and we prayed for people at Walmart. Which sounds silly, but that's like the best ministry ground because everybody's always at Walmart. There's tons of people, right? So we prayed for healing. We we prayed for people's emotional healing. We we just we, we went crazy. It was amazing. And um, that night, I went to Josh Paul's ministry, and it was just it touched me so deeply. It touched me so deeply to see what they do and how much they pour out and that what they laid their lives down to do. I mean, like, the size of it, it just boggled my mind. So we went out and we did a spontaneous outreach, giving out bags of apples from door to door, praying for people and talking to people at Cub Creek. And, I mean, the joy that comes from that is just unexplainable. Like, um, (laughs) like I'm overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit right now. So there's ways you can get involved. Um, Excuse me. I've been struggling with sickness, but I'm healed in Jesus' name. Um, there's ways you can get involved right now. The Kurs are doing a bake sale, and the proceeds from that bake sale will go to helping um, either Project Christmas Child or they'll go to Josh Paul Ministries for the, the winter season because we have Christmas and Thanksgiving coming up. Um, and there's a sign-up sheet that's out in the lobby at this point. So if you go sign up now, between now and next Sunday, you can get your baked goods by, by Thanksgiving. Right, so there's pies and all sorts of things. What I really want to see, <laughs> I really want to see you guys activated in what you have. There's so much potential. There's so much potential in you. And I would say, remember who you were when you were called. And remember what God spoke to you from the beginning. What did he say that you were meant to do? Don't forget those things. Because he never intended to give them up. So don't give up your dreams. Don't give up your calling. Don't give up your purpose. You may be retired in the natural, but do not. We don't retire from Christianity. We don't. Okay, so I'm just going to pray for you guys before I go. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the honor of being placed with this people, being placed in this house, God. And I pray, Lord, that you bless these people, Lord. I pray that you'd wake us up from our sleep, Lord. I pray that you call us up from hopelessness, that you call us up from despair, God, that you'd awaken us and that we would arise, Lord, that your glory would rise upon us, God, and that we would see, God, we would see part of the billion soul harvest because we'd be willing to go. So, Father, I ask you that you give us a willingness to go. And to be, Lord God, who you've made us to be, Lord. I ask you, Lord God, just to come. Come and release a hunger for souls. Come and release a hunger, God, for for your kingdom, God, the advancement of your kingdom, Lord. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I was telling the Lord, you know, Lord... Josh is a little bit different than most of the people that come around and what I grew up with.
You know what the Lord told me? He said, well, what is that to you? Feet. What are you, what are you going to pick your style? And, and the Lord, the Lord, this is what he put in my heart. He said, one of his controversies he has with the church in the West, you know that's a biblical, he has a controversy, is we pick and choose those, the style or, you know, those that we would most want to see him come through. And yet the Lord's not into all that kind of stuff. The Lord chooses whom he wants. He says, it's like picking and choosing churches. You know, I'm going to go as long as I get whatever, you know. And, and then when they start doing stuff I don't like, I'm out of there. You know what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, I don't know if the Lord's pleased with all that stuff. I think he places in the body the members, you know, where... And he also picks and chooses those whom he sends. One of the big things I remember Rick would always teach about is how the Lord will often come in a way you didn't expect. And, you know, you remember that one time where the... The disciples are on the boat, they're in a little bit of trouble, and the Lord is walking towards them, and he looks like a ghost. You remember that? You know, he's a ghost. I don't know if, if I just saw a ghost, if I would want him to get in the boat or not, you know, but anyway, it says they recognized, now they heard his voice, for one thing, and then, and then it, but it says, and he would have passed them by. Remember that? We don't want to be passed by, and we want God to choose and send, and He has the hard part. We just want to be those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And um, these are incredible times, so we might as well just get ready. I will say this, you know, and we're going to call this Fire in the Carolinas 2. And then maybe it'd be a Fire in the Carolinas 3 and a 4, I don't know. But I know right after Josh left, you know, we had the biggest win, some wins we never had before, blew through this county. And I know you can over-spiritualize, you know, just like these guys over-politicize things, you know what I mean? And you can do that. But I also know that there's the natural, then there's the spiritual. And, um, and I was reminded there was, I heard about this prophetic word over us, over Moravian Falls, and this was probably a year and a half or so ago. And I didn't meet the people I wanted to. I tried to connect with them, but someone told me there was a group here connected with Chuck Pierce and some intercessors, and they were praying in the lodge. And they, they gave a word. They said that there would be two winds come through Moravian Falls. And the first one would be a false counterfeit wind, followed, and I don't know the timing of this, but followed by the real wind. And I'm, I'm not going to go into detail, but that was really significant to me at that time because I, I don't know, I was praying about something anyway. It was a personal thing. But anyway, I think it's time for the real wind. And uh, we want the mighty rushing wind, the wind of heaven. When the wind of heaven blows through a community, throws through a church, throws through a nation, because that's our goal, our heart. I mean, we're not just looking for what happens here. We want the whole nation turned upside down and rocked and rolling for we want to see God come and shake the towers we want the shout of a king to go from this place and rock from California to Maine to Michigan to Maryland to Louisiana my home state you know and all that kind of stuff I'm not being dramatic but I am you know I just believe God I'm just believing you know 
what happened? Well, how did that happen? What's wrong with this thing? Hey, Shirley, help. <laughs> it's on ESPN. I don't even have ESPN on this. Look, it went to ESPN. What does that mean? Fix me. Maybe you should turn it off and turn it again. Okay, there we go. We're close. Right? Oh, there it is. What happened? Thank you. She, thank you. She knows how to fix things. <laughs> she, she really does. She keeps me straight. I better be careful. What's wrong with this thing? Maybe the Lord's saying something. You know, but I, you know, I, I was just thinking too. Remember this guy that came through here from India, Sadhu Salvaraj. He says, he said that Jesus, his last seven days on earth, you know, before he went to the cross, he goes into Jerusalem. And remember the first place he visited, first place he went? The temple. And what did he do? Ran, you know, the money changers out, turned the tables over. You know, that was a move of God. How many of you know that? Jesus was moving in the temple. He was tossing some out, and uh, you know, that's all just really a part of it. When he entered Jerusalem, the move began. And, you know, another thing Josh said, he said that the time of delay is over. Well, I want to believe that. I'm tired of hearing prophetic words, you know, that you can just put in the bank and wait 150 years and pull them. You know, I'm, I want to believe God. God says it, I believe it. You know what I'm talking about? I know there's a process of everything. I don't like the processes sometimes, but you know, they're necessary for us. You know what I'm talking about? How I many of you love the processes of God? Anybody want, you want some new, pro anybody want to be patient? You know, just, you know what happens. But things don't happen, you know, just like a flash. Sometimes they do. It takes sometimes a little time. Remember, we just celebrated you know, the uh, 95 Thesis, Martin Luther. Did you read what I wrote? Does anybody ever read what I write? Did you, you know, but I, I, borrowed, I borrowed some of it from our friend Roberts Lairdon. And Roberts was sharing how Martin Luther went to Jerusalem and uh, he was touring the city. Did you read that part? And he's climbing up these stairs that they said were the very stairs where Pontius Pilate, you know, stood and all of that. And so he's, he climbed up one step at a time and every step of the way, he would weep and he would say, he would hear a voice from heaven as he's crying, you know, the just shall live by faith. And then he'd go the next step. The just shall live by faith. Then he'd crawl the next step. The just shall live by faith. And uh, he knew it wasn't a voice, you know, of man. It wasn't his own voice, a voice of a demon. He knew it was a voice of God. And he went and he stamped, you know, those. And it was just the way, that was just the way that you call for a discussion. I mean, if you know that. You know, we, even today, we, we overemphasize these things we hear, these testimonies. You know, it was just a way to say, hey, I want to discuss this stuff. Well, it did more than stir up a discussion. It caused a whole revolution, you know, reformation. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just going to, some of you believe like me, I believe a great awakening has begun. It's already begun. I believe that our president's part of this great awakening. They're trying to kill him, trying to impeach him. That's why we're praying. It ain't going to happen. We're going to hold the course. We're going to see victory. 
We're going to see the Lord's purposes fulfilled in him. And uh, it's, you know, just all much kind of stuff's going on. We're in the midst of it. One thing I can tell you, just watching these guys, where they are now compared to, well, you know, many years ago, they weren't even here. You look around, they weren't, not, there were very few people younger than us around here. So, you know, this is an amazing thing to me. Yeah, I'm looking at you, you know, looking at you, not me, you. I was younger than, than that, but no, no, I wasn't. But, you know, there are the flashpoints, and then there's the, you know, the steady, you've got to take steps of obedience. One act of obedience can cause a whole domino effect like it did in the Reformation. Now, I have somewhere I'm going to go in a little while, but first I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 13. You notice I said in a little while. That means you're not telling a story. You know, you guys that get up there and say, well, I'm closing. I'm not closing. I'm not, I'm not even thinking of closing. You know, you, know. you know, but anyway, that was the beginning. I'm having fun. This is good today. The Lord is with us. He's here in our midst. And anybody could do what I'm doing. This, this has nothing to do with it. You know, the Lord will choose and raise up people for moments and times and seasons. And the main thing is not up here anyway. The main thing is when we go out the door. And you know, you just live your life and we follow the Lamb and we do the will of God Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's the main thing. Say, that's the main thing. This is just a time to rally, come together, encourage one another, stir up good works, you know, sometimes kick one another in rear, saying, why are you going down that road? You know what I mean? You, you're going to get you're going to get in trouble going down that road. Get off of that road. You know, how many of you know what I'm talking about? We need that accountability. We need people to tell us the truth. We don't need people to tell us, boy, you look great today when you feel lousy. We need people to tell the truth. You know, you look like you feel lousy. You know, you need to repent, you sinner. You know what I mean? Whatever. Anyway, I'm trying to stay on subject. All right, Matthew chapter 13. And, and let's, let's pray. Help, God, help. That's where we need. Because I don't know how I'm going to even do this. But Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. Lord, these are the kind of mornings we really long for. We want, God, your manifest presence, Lord. That's all we're after, Lord. We just want to see you. We want to know you. We want to do your will. Because you said, Lord, those that do your will, those are the ones that will enter. We want to be those who at the end of it all hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and true, and you're good, and you're with us, God with us, Emmanuel, and we bless your name, Lord, open the scriptures to us, Lord, the things you've been showing me, Lord, when you're showing me, it all fits, and sometimes, you know, our mind gets cranked up and things, so Lord, please, help me to give what you've given me in a way that, that is spirit to spirit, but that we understand, Lord. Lord, I just thought about that prayer I used to pray and I hadn't prayed in a few months. Lord, I take my tongue out of my head and I stick it in my spirit. Help me to preach out of the Holy Spirit. Preach out of the Spirit, Lord. Lord, our tongue, the words of men are the, they're not going to get us anywhere. It's the Word of God. And so, Lord, quicken the Scriptures to us 
and speak things, Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you. There'll be things that you will speak to people this morning and on here, but also on the internet and on Facebook that I didn't even have any idea or not even thinking about saying. But you can say it, Lord, so we thank you. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Look with me, Matthew chapter 13 and uh, verse 31. Another parable he put forth to them. No, let me back up. No, let me read there. Then I'll back up. Is that good? You, sometimes it's okay to start and stop and back up and start. It's the way it goes. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least. Say the least. Now the least is the insignificant, the small, it's that which others have given up on, the underdog. How many of you like an underdog? You know, the least, the least. You ever feel like the least? I do. You feel like the least, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. That's a mustard seed. But when it is grown, say it is grown. When it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And so it is with the kingdom. The things that we would consider very small, insignificant. You know, going to uh, the poor and only one person showing up or whatever. Things that seem to be, you know, very small, God can cause to bring forth His kingdom. Right? Everybody know that. That's just biblical principle that we want to remember. It wasn't the flashy. It, sometimes it's not. And we live in an instant world. We want everything now, God. Now. I want it all now. Anybody else like that? Give me all now. It's your, you said, already said it's your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. But there is a process. There are flashes and then there's, you know, we move by faith. You know, I think we got plagued in America by the faith movement. Now, we got blessed by the faith movement. We also got plagued when that thing that said, you know, everything is now. You've got to have it. If you don't have it, you don't have faith. If you're sick, you don't have faith. Baloney. I got faith. I got faith. I'm sick, but I got, a, I got faith in a God that can heal me. You know what I'm talking about. We got a little bit messed up there. Faith in faith. No, I got faith in God. My faith is not in my faith. But even if you have the smallest of the faith, then you can rock mountains and shake mountains. So anyway, go down. Now go back to verse 24. I want to show you something, and then we're going to get over into Isaiah 60, build up to that. But look at verse 24. Let me just read it, then I'll look a little bit more into the explanation of something I feel like God's doing right now. Help us to understand the times. Another parable he put forth, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But when, or while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also sprouted or appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, I'm going to explain who the reapers are in a minute. The reapers, first, gather together, gather together the tares. 
and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now look down in verse, let's move it, look down in verse 36. But you know, you notice, how many gatherings were there? Two. There was a gathering of the tares and then a gathering of the wheat. Two, there was an in-gathering and an out-gathering. The out-gathering comes before the in-gathering. You ever thought about that? There's an out-gathering. Then there's an in a great in-gathering. And the in-gathering that's coming is going to way beyond what we can uh, even begin to imagine. But look in verse 36. So, well, let's go to verse 37. He answered and said to them, because they want, they want explanation. What does all this mean? He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is what? The world. So it's not just the church, the kingdom. is a little bit larger than our local church. I mean, if you know that. You know, it's the gospel. It's not the gospel of the church that's going to be preached in all the world as a witness. It's the gospel of the kingdom that's going to be preached. But here he wants, wants us to know that the field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. How many sons of the kingdom are here this morning? All right, we're the sons of the kingdom. And, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. You know how you can tell who the sons belong to? Sons look like their father, and they do the will of their father. They do the deeds of their father. Remember, Jesus, he wasn't trying to gain a crowd when he said, You do the deeds of your father. The devil, as he just told it like it was. I wonder how many churches he'd get to preach in in America today. If he walked in and said, you're doing the deeds of your father, the devil, that'd be really serious business. Get rid of him. Who is this man? Anyway, it's interesting to think about. Verse 39. So the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest, harvest is the end of the age. I mean, if you think we could possibly be at the end of the age. So what's going to happen? The harvest. A harvest of what? Souls, but also everything that's been sown. All the seeds by the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the wicked one are going to be reaped. And the reapers are the angels. In other words, they're reaper angels. Whose angels are they? They're God's angels. Now, this is serious business. I asked the Lord when I was reading this, Lord, could I see one of the reaper angels? You know what I felt like he said? You don't want to see one of those angels. You, you really don't want to see one of them. All I saw was the, the shoes they were wearing. I believe I saw that. You know, you just by faith. The, let me tell you, these angels are not just some little flimsy, feathery, white, wearing white sneakers, flying around with wings, dropping some wings around from time to time to get people excited, or some feathers, you know what I mean? Dropping around, flying around, woo, wonderful. These things are serious. What I saw was these reaper angels are wearing like army boots, camouflage boots with steel toes. And what they do is they're ready to kick down the doors people are hiding behind, thinking they're getting away with stuff behind closed doors. They're reaper angels, and they're big. I don't know if I want to see one. I'm changing my tune. 
Lord, if that's what their feet look like, I don't want to see anything else. Now, let me show you. Say, you know, do you know what you're talking about? Well, let's read the rest of it. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out who? His angels. His angels. Reaper angels. Now, the word reaper means harvester. Harvest means reaping. And so, it's reaping. In other words, the reaper angels are sent to enforce the truth that whatsoever a man sows or a nation sows, that that man or nation will reap. That's what they're doing. They're sent to enforce the truth of Scripture. You've sown this. You shall reap it because there's a whole heavenly host that's going to make sure it happens. His angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom. They're going to gather out all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. Now, we'll come back and look at that in a moment. And will cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then, and only then, there's got to be a great outgathering by the reaper angels. Then, what will happen? The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, not everyone is going to want to hear. But I want to hear. Now, but back in that verse 41, all things that offend. The word offend is the word scandalon or scandal. It's a trap stick, a snare, a cause of displeasure or sin, stumbling, an offense, a stumbling block, a scandal. What do we see happening right now? In the world, we see God kicking down the doors where the angels, the reaper angels, fulfilling their assignment, kicking down the doors they thought others people thought were closed that no one could see what's going on behind them. And I'm watching this happen in our government. My question is, God, I thought this stuff was supposed to happen here. And it is. It's just God's, the view of the world's a little bit bigger than what we are looking at here. It's a world thing. It's a kingdom thing. It's a nation thing. God is kicking down the doors of those scandals that are hidden behind the closed doors to expose them, to bring them out. And then lawlessness is the word illegal or the violation of the law or wickedness. Any unrighteousness. Can I tell you, the reaper angels are right now flying over America from Hollywood to D.C. to Florida to Pennsylvania to Rhode Island to Texas to every church in this land. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. It might happen overnight. It's going to happen during night because you're going to think it's night when stuff like when these guys really get turned loose, you're going to think it's night. But he's the God of the day and the God of the night. The angels are the Lord's angels. They're not the devil's angels. Some of you see that. So those reapers, and I know there may be something like the grim reaper, you know, they, the rock bands, that's a different thing. Death and all that stuff. These guys, they're just serious. They're harvesters. They're gatherers. They're gathering out all things that offend, even out of his church. Probably the same principle that Jesus, when he went, the first thing he goes to, Jerusalem, he goes to the temple and he drives out the money changers. 
serious stuff. This is serious, isn't it serious? You don't play around. I tell you, the church in America has played around with God. He's not a play toy. He's serious. He's holy. He's holy. He's going to show himself strong. He's a loving God, absolutely. But whatsoever a man sows, that he's also going to reap. There'll be multiple harvests, multiple gatherings. Now let me move on. Because I want to get to verse 43, which says, Then the righteous will shine. Say, then the righteous will shine. Sound like a little upheaval going to happen before the righteous actually really begin to shine. But that takes us to what we're here for. And that's, let's go to Isaiah. And you remember, that takes us to Isaiah 60. So this is how, this is what we're being prepared for. Arise and shine. But before we do Isaiah 60, I want to just, this, cause this is the way it happened to me this week. Just look at the five chapters preceding. I'm not going to go through all the chapters. But I just want to point out some things that lead up to Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2. Arise and shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Because that's what we're looking for, right? I mean, many of the songs this morning, I don't, I don't tell them. Sometimes I, I suggest a song, but most of the times I don't. And today I didn't. But many of them were about the glory. The glory. Seeing the glory. The glory being upon us. Being seen upon us. Well, the Lord put all this together. So let's go back now to Isaiah 55. And then I just point out some scriptures and then go on. And then preparing for his glory. That's really what I want to talk about. How do we get ready? What's the purpose of the glory? Because I'm believing God. I'm going out on a limb. How many of you? You want to go out on the limb? Listen, I'm, I've been around this thing called Christianity too long. I'm going to go all the way or no way. You know what I mean? I'm playing no games. It's serious stuff. Something happened anyway. Yesterday, I felt a seriousness come over me. You know, you know what it was. I felt a seriousness. The Lord challenged me. You do what honors me. It's serious. Let me tell you. He's calling us into accountability now. I'd rather the Lord judge me now than judge me later. You know what I mean? I'd rather fall on the rock and be broken than have that rock fall on me and grind me to powder. You know what I'm talking about. Serious time. Okay, so look. All right, this is good stuff. Now, verse 1 of Isaiah 55, ho. Now, that's not ho, ho, ho. It's, it's just ho. Oh, you know, ho, ho, ho. I don't know. I mean, we're going to, we still celebrate. We have all that stuff. But I'm not that hip about ho, ho, ho. You remember, Emily, we didn't even call him Santa. I don't know, we just got into this thing, so we called him the ho-ho man. We were thinking if we called him the ho-ho man, then they wouldn't fall down that trap of believing in the fairy tale. You know what I mean? Did it work? Yeah, it kind of worked, you know, the ho-ho. Ho-ho. But you know, God is not a Santa Claus. He's not Santa Claus. A lot of people think, God, give me, give me this, give me that. I want, what do you want? It's like the Lord, you wake up on a Monday, okay, what do you want from me this week? He's not a saint. I'll never forget Milton Green, one of my mentors. I used to go to those James Robinson Bible conferences back in the old days. And Milton Green, he's the guy I told you about. 
He would just read the Bible. He would just read chapters. And it was like I'm sitting in the crowd and the fire of God would come out of his Bible and go and fly through the sky. And I'm not being dramatic. I didn't see it, but it was happening. And it would like explode in my heart. I just lived on every word that he was speaking. And mostly all he did was read the Bible. That's why God sent me to him. It was just, you know, I'd go, I'd drive from Louisiana, Dallas, I didn't care, wherever Milton Green had a in-the-word seminar was the name of it. And he was just a ninth-grade educated carpet cleaner. God had on the earth for just a short time who preached with thunder. And you just read the word. When he said, ho, at that time in my life, when he said, ho, I was getting low, I'm just telling you. It's just, it was like fire, every word. Ho was anointed. I'd go out, ho. I'd leave the meetings, go on the streets of Dallas. Ho. People look at me like I'm crazy, but anyway. Ho. But the scriptures, ho. Everyone. Everyone who thirsts. Everyone. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. That's our part of our message, isn't it? Hey, everyone can come to the water. Everyone, there's no one has to be left out. If you're buying, you're going for the stuff of the world, it's not going to satisfy. And then he says in verse 2, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. For in me you'll find abundance, you'll hear, and your soul shall live. Look in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. And isn't that true? When the presence of God is drawing you, that's the time to seek him like you've never sought him before. Some of you right now, there's an increase of the presence of God in your life. You know what that is? That's an invitation to you to seek Him, to go after Him, to go deeper in Him. He wants to show you things about your life and who He is, most of all, but the calling on your life. And then there's the word to the wicked, because He says, let the wicked forsake His way. And why is that? Because of verse 8, because God's ways are higher. Say, God's ways are higher. They are much higher, much greater. Anytime we think we have a way of God figured out, God shows us another way that's higher. He's greater. He'll never be able. We'll never be able to figure out the ways of God. We're to grow and know the ways, but His ways are always higher. And then in verse 11, So shall my word, boy, I like this scripture, So shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return unto me void. It will accomplish what I please. Every time you speak God's word, it is accomplishing some purpose. Maybe not your purpose, but God's purpose. Amen. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's go on. 56. And we could read all of them, but we're not. Verse 1. Keep justice and do righteousness. I thought about what our president said recently. He said, the justice system in America is a joke. Thank God for a man that won't hold back any punches and he's not trying to be politically correct, just tells the truth. It's it's a joke because of corrupt judges that have been put in there that pervert justice, they have their own agenda. He says, keep justice. But for the church, we keep justice. We pray for justice and righteousness. Do righteous and my righteousness will be or is to be revealed. Now, this is a good verse. In verse 4, let the eunuch now say, here, no, nor let the eunuch say, here I am a dry tree. 
For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now a eunuch, am I right? That's a single, right? Someone doesn't have a mate. Is that not true? That's part of the meaning. That's the easy part. But for this case, it's a good enough part. Because I remember when I was single, and I looked at this, because the devil would often tell me, you're a dry tree. And he wouldn't say it in those words. But he tried to make me feel like I was incapable or without. Let me tell you, if you're single, it's the grace of God, the goodness of God for the moment. You can be all you've been called to be, single or married. There's grace for both. So while you're single, enjoy it. There's grace, great grace. When you get married, you've got to see about the things that please your wife and your family. But that's a good thing. It's a good thing. There's a good thing. But anyway, these are just scriptures that mean a lot to me when I'm growing up. may not mean anything to you. But if you're single, it means a lot to you. Quit saying you're a dry tree. You're not a dry tree. You're going to be your fruitful tree. Now verse 7 talks about what we're trying to do with the best the few people we have, even them I will bring to my mountain, my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. For my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. And, uh, and all of this. So we, and that's what we want to do is keep building the house of prayer. And then I already read this verse in verse 10 a few weeks ago about the watchmen. They were irresponsible leaders. The watchmen that are blind, they're all ignorant. They're dumb dogs that cannot bark. Well, Jeremiah, I mean, Isaiah was not trying to make any buddies here. He just said, you shepherds, you watchmen, you're like dumb dogs. You cannot even bark when you should be barking. Because it says in verse 11, they are, they are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way, their own gain from his own territory, his own kingdom. The way you can tell a irresponsible shepherd or Watchman is by what verse 12 says. Come, one says, I will bring wine and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. In other words, we're going to live, drink, be merry in this day and hour because there'll be no accountability for tomorrow. But it says tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. And they don't warn the people that there will be a day of reckoning. Do you know that every one of us are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ? Everyone in this room, everyone watching. Maybe not the white throne judgment, unless you don't know the Lord. But we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be judged for every idle word that we've ever spoken. Every idle word. Our motives. What we should have done and we didn't do when we had the opportunity to do it. And that's a whole message in itself. But anyway, let me move on. Say, move on. Move on. Because we've got to get to chapter 60, but when I get to 60, I'll move real fast. Chapter 57. Now this, when I read it, I thought about, can I just be honest? This is what I thought about. I thought about how in North Carolina, God raised up a, a governor who said, No, no, men will not be allowed to go into the bathrooms and molest little girls. And then the people in North Carolina threw him out. So another leader was raised up. 
This one has totally changed everything. They're starting slow, but, but this is what I saw in verse, this is what was in my mind. It could have been just my mind. But he says, but come here, you sons of the sorcerers, you offspring of the adulterer and the harlot. Whom do you ridicule? Against whom do you make a wide mouth and stick out your tongue? You know, there are people in America right now, that's what they're doing. They're sticking out their tongue to God. Said, you do you think you are God? They're sticking their tongue out at him. Are you not children of transgressors, offspring of falsehood, inflaming yourselves with gods under every green tree, slaying the children in the valleys, under the cliffs of the rocks? And then he goes on, and verse 8, at the end of that, says, You've loved their bed and you saw their nudity. But anyway, look in verse 11. Here's what God is saying to men like the governor of North Carolina. And of whom have you been afraid or feared that you've lied and not remembered me, nor taken it to your heart. Is it because I've held my peace from of old that you do not fear me? That's what God's saying. Is it because I've not already come and smashed, you know, everything that can be smashed, that you have no fear of me because I've held back because of my love for you? That's what God's saying. How many of you see that? You see, there's no fear of God because God hadn't come and just done everything or you know wrecked everything or judged everyone he's a loving God and that's what he says he says because I've not done that you have no fear of me and then he goes on I will declare your righteousness he's got all kinds of stuff to say verse 15 for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity whose name is holy holy and here's what he's looking for I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. What's God looking for? Repentance. Is everybody with me? If you have your Bible and you're following along, this makes a whole lot more sense. Because you can see it. This kind of stuff, this is just, a, I just like reading the Bible too. That's something that, of Milton Green that rubbed off on me. You know, I don't sometimes tell a lot of stories. Sometimes I do, but reading the Bible is not all bad. Because I remember the day when I was in seminary, and I, I don't know if I stood up and said this, but I wanted to know. I, I said, I want to know, when is thus saith the Lord coming back to the nation? When did thus, I, don't, I know what thus saith Reverend Green said, but what about thus saith the Lord? And then I learned from Milton and others, well, thus saith the Lord, just read the Bible. Let the Holy Spirit convict people. Okay, now look in verse 8, or 58, chapter 58, verse 1. So here's what he says to us, the shepherds, the watchmen. You, the believers, cry aloud and spare not. You know what spare not means? Don't hold back. You hold back, you're going to be held accountable. Don't hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of America their sins. I mean Jacob. Yet, now look at this, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. Does anybody see what I'm seeing in this? If you're not, I'm just reading this for my own, but I'm seeing God is speaking right now. Now you say, well, what's the hope? How come God hadn't broken through? Well, look, chapter 59, verse 1, behold. 
The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Man, he could save a nation in a day. Nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. And you've spoken, your lips have spoken lies or deceit. I'm telling you, I don't think it's cap- I don't think NBC, ABC, CBS, and CNN are capable of telling the truth. I don't think it's... To them, a lie is the truth. And the truth is their enemy. Right now, the truth is the enemy of God. The truth is their greatest enemy. And it's the spirit of Antichrist. Well, and you look in verse 6, it says, Their acts of violence, their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Where did I just see something that somebody, oh, the ACLU paid for someone who's not an American to have an abortion, and they thought, well, Amer- Americans should pay for it on their dime. Remember that? Did you see that? Anyway, this stuff is all in the Scripture. Well, what do you do? You just give up and go home? No. Thank God for chapter 59 because look what happens in verse 19. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from, his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up what? A standard against him. What is the standard? Well, first of all, in verse 20, it's the Redeemer. The message of redemption. The Redeemer will come to Zion. God will dwell in the midst of His people and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob. And so, God will raise up a standard. The standard is the truth in the context of chapter 59. How many of you say, you know that? Have you read that? It's the truth. Because truth had fallen in the streets and such as that. But then in verse 21, As for me, says the Lord, and this is a promise that God gave me, and the generation, and you're, my, you're some of our sons and daughters. So this affects you, okay? As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor the mouth of your descendants. Nor from the mouth of your descendants, descendants. Says the Lord from this time forth and forever. So the answer, the standard is the Word of the Lord and the Spirit of God coming upon the church and being bold, not holding back, proclaiming, Thus saith the Lord. Okay? How many of you see that? Are you guys with me? You better be, because I'm up here all alone. You know? No, I'm not alone. No, there's some big angels with me. People say they see them, I see them. I don't even care. It'd be really cool if some of those reaper angels are with me. Somebody come around. You see that guy? You know what he's calling me? Yeah, you know, it doesn't work like that. You know, we don't call down fire. Yet. But maybe. In fact, we don't have to call it down. You don't have to. It's coming. Now, okay, so anyway, and then the answer is chapter 60. It builds up to all this whole, whoa, yeah, you son of you sorcerer, and all this stuff, the standard. And then in chapter 60, 
If you read this stuff in order, it's going to blow you away. If you read like five or six chapters a night, you're going to have a hard time sleeping. Because it's just going to start coming alive to you. The revelation of the Word. You know, the Word is going to be made alive. So, the purpose of His glory. Arise and shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. I don't even know that's true. And deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And the Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your horizon. Now the word glory, most of you know, it's the word, Hebrew word, kabod. It means the splendor, the weight, the honor, the magnificence, the wealth, the weightiness of the presence of God. Right? And that's in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? The New Testament, do you know what the glory of the Lord is in the New Testament? Jesus. Jesus is the glory of the Father because Where is it in Colossians 1.27? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so it's Christ in us, living through us and out of us, that will reflect a glory. Now, purpose of His glory. So let me just, there's about 10 of them, 12 of them. You guys with me? And then we'll pray and release and have a good time. And uh, go play soccer this afternoon. You guys playing soccer? Yeah, man. You know... When I was in college, every Sunday afternoon, I'm going to take a time out for a story, but every Sunday afternoon, we played sandlot football in the park, and we'd put stuff under our eyes, bandages. I'd get my game face on. I would, you know, I, I was too small to play, you know, the, with the big guys, so I'd play in the park. The problem is some of the guys in the park were big guys, and they didn't care. They'd bust your head. You know, you played tackle with no, no helmet. And we bust heads and I'd come back with broken fingers. Well, I don't know, just twisted and mangled. You know, woe is me. And then, you know what I did the next Sunday? I put my tape back on and my black stuff under my eyes. And I went back out there. I just kept going. No, you don't give up. Anyway, I was, I'm thinking, I'm seeing myself there. And some of these guys were ruthless. They wouldn't care. And I remember people having to cart people off all the time. You know. <laughs> I don't even know. If, some of them, I don't even know if we ever saw them again. <laughs> they may have just laid them to rest. Because they had, a, they had a, uh, a cemetery not far from that park. <laughs> so we'd just play football and then take them off. I don't know. It's, there was a river there too. What was the name of that river going for? I don't remember the name of that river. The name of that river. It was the Washita River. Maybe that was it. Okay, so the purpose of his glory. To mark or identify a people separated unto him. And we've read this enough times, you know that. It will be seen upon you. I'm telling you, I'm, somebody mentioned this the other night. And I, there's people in here that I'm seeing their countenance change. Anybody know anybody like that? It's like there's something different about even their countenance. The glory being seen upon them. Remember Moses, his face shone. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter even if our face doesn't shine. We're going to reflect his character. Do you know that we're part of the apocalypse? Anybody know that? Just say, I'm a part of the apocalypse. What does that mean? The revelation. 
the apocalypse is not a scary word. The world makes it scary. It's the revealing, the uncovering of the Lord Jesus. Well, it, are we not to be revealed to the world? Is He not to be revealed through us? Right? And so we're in the apocalypse. Yeah, this is getting serious. You know, you think about that stuff, man. Wow. All right, secondly, to get the people of God on the move. Remember Lance, the word that Lance Walnow spoke. said the next move of God is to get the people to move, the people of God to move. The move of God. That's the moving. Somebody was speaking there. Asia, this more moving. That's the move of God to get us to do. There are two arisings in that chapter. Only God arises after we arise. Arise and shine for your light has come. And then it says, and the glory of the Lord will arise over you. And then number three is to counter the darkness. To op the opposite of, the alternative. To offer the world an alternative to what's coming. There's a new world coming, a greater kingdom coming. And so God is going to magnify or allow the kingdom of darkness to be magnified. I'll give you an example. This week, out of the blue, my friend Greg Alford, he's my... He was my best friend growing up in high school. And he actually went to college. Where I went to college, he became the manager of the football team. He was a manager of the football team when I was out on the sandlot Sunday afternoons playing. He was in the real thing, but he was in the clubhouse. You know, he, he watched, anyway, all kinds of stuff. But anyway, Greg calls me this week out of the blue from Baton Rouge. He said, David, I wanted to talk to you. I just felt impressed. I wonder how are you doing? It's been forever. And me and Greg were reminiscing, you know, and, I, you know we, and we're thinking, I said, Greg, you remember, I'm like 17 years old, I'm on your carport, and I looked at you, and I pointed my finger, and I said, Greg, one day I'm going to preach. One day I'm going to preach. And he said, yeah, I remember. He told me what he had on. What he, I didn't remember what I had on. I didn't remember what he had on. I just remember, I was like prophesying. I didn't even know what prophesy was, but I was prophesying what I was going to do to Greg. And he was reminding me, we were talking about that, and just reminiscing. And then he started telling me, he goes to the Healing Place Church in Baton Rouge. It's a big, sounds like a good church. Really powerful ministry down there. And um, he was slipping that in because he thought I was still in the Baptist circles. So he was trying to, you know, slip it in. Well, I go to a non-denominational, it's called the Healing Place Church. I said, Greg, really? That's great. The healing place, that sounds like a good place to go, you know. And, and then I told him, hey, Greg, guess where I am? You know what I mean? <laughs> guess what happened to me along the way on the journey? We both got messed up along the journey from our little First Baptist Church days, you know. And, but anyway, and many of you got messed up too. But I've already told you that story. That was Jack Taylor's fault. He was the reason, you know. But thank God for Jack. We got to see, we got to get Jack back here too. Because, you know, what is he, 84 now, 85? We better, better get him back, you know what I mean? But anyway, Greg was telling me, yes, and we just called our missionaries back from Mozambique. I said, really, why? He said, hadn't you heard the Black Death? There's a plague, the pneumonic plague, the worst of the plagues is in Madagascar. Now, in that, on that same day, Dylan and I were in my office talking about Madagascar. Remember I said, have you ever been to Madagascar? I don't know, we just thought about it. Well, that night is when Greg called. And, and I looked it up. Madagascar is having the, not the bubonic plague, the, but the pneumonic plague. And it's airborne. 
and they have what 1800 cases something like that so far and there are nine African nations that they're on alert from Kenya to Mozambique to South Africa to Ethiopia to some others right along Tanzania all of those nations and then there's some nations obviously around Madagascar islands maybe but they're on high alert you know what It's fatal. It's horrible. It spreads. It's airborne. It's 100% fatality rate. This particular, this is serious stuff, you know. Anyway, he's telling me, so they called your missionaries home to Baton Rouge and, and such. And so, this is, now this is the example of darkness covering the earth and deep darkness the people. And I know all this is going to happen, but we're to be the, we're to rise and shine. So this is the wild idea that I had this morning. Why don't we just tell this plague to turn back and to die? What's a plague to Jesus? Did you know in the bubonic plague, that's not even the worst one, 50 million people died in Europe. And Europe, I read this on the Daily Mail or somewhere, they're now concerned about this pneumonic form coming into Europe. Did you know the plague lasted for 200 years? The bubonic plague. Generations, fathers would give birth to children and teach them about what may come or is there. The bubonic plague, 200 years. That taught me, well, that, that'll really, you know, this quick it, fix it at the moment stuff, you know what I mean? That's a big process, 200 years. Generations. So anyway, can we just pray and then I'm going to move on. We need to pray for mercy and grace and pray that we will read about this plague suddenly losing its steam. Because I know, hey, we're going to, as long as we're in this world, we're to be salt and light. And I know stuff, I know it's all part of the stuff. But until God says, hey, this is part of my stuff, stay away from it, we're going to pray. So in the name of Jesus, this is not your stuff, death and destruction, the pneumonic plague. God, we just as a congregation in Moravian Falls, we stand on your word. We're blood-bought. We're under the blood of Jesus. You've given us authority. God, you said that your son trampled upon scorpions and serpents and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm us. So, Lord, we pray right now that, God, this plague that is originated in Madagascar would begin to lose its steam, begin to fall into the uh, ocean, into the water, that, God, we pray that you would intervene and turn it back in Jesus' name. We pray for Tanzania, Kenya, uh, South Africa, Ethiopia, and those other little nations along there. Lord, uh, Mozambique, we pray, God, that you would rescue the people there and that this plague would be stopped. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and God, that we would read about it in the coming weeks, how what they thought was going to spread began to die. We speak to that plague, die now in Jesus' name. And we pray, Lord, that it won't be long so that missionaries can go back into those lands doing what they're called to do. Because, Lord, we're a mission base, and so, Lord, we pray for all these nations to be saved Lord, thank you for the great works that are going on in Mozambique. Great works in Kenya. Hallelujah. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's just see what happens. But add that to your prayer, okay? Just be praying when we pray up here, pushing back the plague.
You know, there's going to be extreme wickedness, but there's going to be extreme righteousness. How many of you know that? They used to tell me, now, you don't want to go off the deep end. No, we do. Go off the deep end. Jump off the deep end. That was a religious term way back in years ago. They'd say, now, you don't want to go off the deep end. Oh, I do. I did, and I am. And I'm going to jump again. He's worth it. What else you got to do the rest of your life in eternity? Go for him. Go for the gold. Go for the harvest. Go for everything he's got. Extreme love. And then the next thing, I'll move quickly, is verse 3 and verse 4. He talks about the lift up your eyes and all around and see all together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. In other words, there's going to be a great drawing. When the glory of the Lord comes upon the house of the Lord, like God has purposed it to be, the harvest will be, it'll be. They will come. You will not be able to keep them from coming. Now, we're going to do our part, and we're going to go into the highways and byways and compel them. It's all part of the kingdom business. But at the same time, they're going to be drawn to those they see the glory of the Lord upon. Amen. And then the next thing is in verse 5 through verse 7. And some of this you can read on your own. But the glory is that his house may be glorified. That he would bless and prosper his people. To prosper the wealth of the wicked. I used to always wonder about that. Well, what about that? And then he showed me in the scripture. Look in verse 5. Then you shall see and become radiant. And your heart shall swell with joy. Because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. And you read the rest of it, he talks about the camels lining up, coming on your land. I don't know what all that means, I confess, you know what I mean. But I'm just telling you, God's going to take care of us. We're going to have more than enough to do the will of God. More than enough, an abundance to do His will. If He's given you a vision, He'll take care of the provision for the vision. Provision. For the vision. That sounds good. I have to remember that. Provision. For the vision. Okay. And then the next thing, verse, verses 6 through 10, is that the favor of God will come upon His people. You will, be, you will used to have been the forsaken, but now you will be the favored. How's God going to do this kind of stuff? He's just going to do it. When the glory of the Lord fills the house of the Lord, a whole bunch of stuff's going to be fixed that we could never do ourselves. It's the glory of the Lord flooding the house of God. It's just going to happen. It's His presence, manifest presence. It'll be like we said earlier. When He becomes, or He will become the great I am, when He becomes the great I am, we realize that we were the great I was's. I was bound in iniquity. I was a sinner. I was an adulterer. I was dying of cancer. But I am has come to visit me. And I know now who I am because the great I am has shown himself strong. Amen. Does that make sense? That's what the scripture is. I was, but now. Oh, goodness, God. This is good stuff. Lord, send me to Mosaic, be Kenya, Tanzania, in the spirit. I want to go to those lands right now and preach the gospel. I'd love to go. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. I like being here too. But I want to go some too, Lord. Just being honest. You know what I'm talking about. This is the time to go. 
I'm going to go like these guys are going. You guys, you just came from the Ukraine. I'm going to go. Oh, And then the next thing, verse 16, to make his name known. Look at that. Let's just read that. Look over verse 16. It says, and you shall drink of the milk of the Gentiles and the milk of the breasts of the kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. When the glory of the Lord comes upon the house of God, He will make Himself glorious and known to the ends of the earth. I so want Him to make Himself known to Hollywood right now. Well, how's it going to happen? It's that we get our act together, that the doors open and the glory of the Lord flood the house of God. The answer is not the White House, it's God's house. And His kingdom is reigning and coming. And then He's going to raise up a righteous people in verse 21. And like I said, I'm going to move quickly, but it's, you know, a righteous, there'll be righteousness. Referring to the Son of God, it says in Hebrews, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. God's going to have a holy people. I was wondering if I should share this. I think I will. Say, go ahead and do it. You gave me permission. But there's a, I met a guy in Colombia. I told you, his name's William. When he, I was there, he was 18, he's 19 right now. And I Skyped with him this week, thanks to Linda helping me, and the, she kind of got me connected. So anyway, William, God is using him in an amazing way in Colombia. He went to a rock concert. Somehow they invited him up on the stage of thousands of thousands of people. So he starts preaching. So preaching at a rock concert. God's, God told him to go there. And so he just went there, and God put him on the stage. Then God told him what to say. And so he starts preaching, and he said, If you want the fire of God on your life, come forward right now. And nobody moved. And he thought, Oh God, I'm in trouble. I'm history. They're going to lock me up, whatever. And he was thinking like we do in the natural. You get in this little bit, you know. Anyway, all of a sudden, somebody comes forward. And then another one, and then another one. And at a rock concert, thousands of people came to the front. He prayed for them. They fell out under the power of God. People got healed, delivered, saved. It was an amazing testimony. This man, he's just a young boy on fire for Jesus. And he's having encounters with God. He told me, he said, David, the other day, my door was knocked. Somebody knocking on my door. I opened the door. Jesus was standing there. He said he, he lifted up his hand. He had a hole in his hand, his, in his palm. And Jesus spoke to me and said, William, go tell the people, I'm coming for my bride. I'm coming soon, and I'm faithful and true. And you go tell them. And he's just doing it. He's just going to do it. But he told me another thing that got my attention. He said he had, God took him in this incredible encounter. This was after Etienne and I went to Columbia. And William was hanging around us. So anyway, he said, God took me into the clouds, into the heavens, and I could see the earth. And he said, I saw a giant stadium, and it was filled with millions and millions of people. But I saw there was a little empty section in the stadium, a black, lonely, dark section nobody was sitting. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, who are all these people in the stadium? He said, those are the people that put their trust in me. That's my children, my sons and daughters. And then he said, but God, 
What about this empty section over there that I see in the stadium? It's lonely and dark. Nobody's there. He said that place was reserved for many of my preachers who are not there. They're in hell because they did their own thing. They preached their own word. They built their own kingdom. They did things their own way. And they did not do the will of the Father. And they would have been there. And he said, but God, they're great preachers in the earth, great men and women of God. He said, you go tell them. And he, he challenged William. He said, you preach holiness. God said, I'm holy. And those who approach me must be holy. I tell you, the stuff going on today in ministries, I believe, make, makes me sick. What does it make God do? He said, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And it begins in the priesthood. It's a serious thing. When I read it, I just, when I heard that, I said, God, we need men like William and like Dylan and like Eric and like all these young guys. We need you guys to quickly get filled with the Holy and then go, Anna, go, 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 go. Because the time is short. Anyway, it's going to raise up a righteous, holy people. And if all of that, I, if you don't know how that fits theologically, I don't know. I don't even care. Unless it's opposed to the Bible. And that's not opposed. Because I just read over there about these irresponsible shepherds. They did things their own way, their own thing, their own, their own. They decided to go start a church and they went and started one. And God never sent them. There are many that went, but they were not sent. And the shaking will bring it all out in the day that is to come. Everything will be tried as by fire. Everything. Every work, every ministry will be tried yet as but by fire. And then the next thing that he may be glorified. Oh, I backed up. Verse 21. The glory of the Lord is coming upon the house of God to inheritance. The promised land. From Egypt to the wilderness to the promises of God. The glory will help that final push out of the wilderness. Thank God. I'm tired of the wilderness. Anybody else? I want to get into the promises of what he spoke. The promised land. It's ours. It's our inheritance. And we are part of his inheritance. You know, that's why he wants us. He longs to be with us. I'll never forget the day... In Waco, when I was out praying, I think I may have shared this, but I was praying in those days a lot for a wife because I was single. I thought I was a dry tree. You know, I'm praying, God, when are you going to send me a wife? I'm tired of being a dry tree. This is pitiful. How you call me in the ministry and leave me all alone? I'm, don't you know I'm beset by weakness and being tempted? And there were pretty girls in Waco at Baylor, and God told me, don't date the college women. Now, what kind of God is that? I remember, God, who do you think you, what do you think this is? You send me to Waco, Texas, and you tell me don't date the pretty Baylor women? This is crazy. This is ridiculous, God. I told him that. In fact, I told him one day, I said, God, you're against me. You're against me. And I was reading in Jeremiah that day, no, the plans I have for you are good. They're not evil. To give you a future and hope. Don't lose sight of that. Anyway, I'm out praying for a wife. And God interrupted my little prayer. 
And he said, as bad as you want to be with your bride, it doesn't even begin to compare with how much I want to be with mine. Now you go spend your life getting my bride ready for me. And I'll never forget that. It's one of the passions of my life. He wants to be with his bride. That he may be glorified. God will be glorified. Verse 22, increase. The glory of the Lord is coming up on the house of the Lord to bring increase. He's, and then he says, I will hasten it in my time at the end of that. And then if you, you want to keep on reading in Isaiah chapter 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach. And then that's what it's really all about. Empowering us, appointing us, releasing us to do the will of the Father to a lost and a broken world where God gets all the glory and the honor and the praise because of the harvest, the ingathering, after the outgathering, the ingathering belongs to Him. He's the Lord of the harvest. And He's invested in it. And it's going to come to pass. Well, amen.